Okay, so today's uh, sermon will be coming from Acts chapter 8, verses 1 to 25. Uh, I'll invite uh, Alice to come do our Bible reading, and then Pastor Joseph will deliver the message. Uh, good morning, church. Uh, before we read, uh, let's pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As your word is read out, may you open our hearts to receive them and help us to understand so that we may be equipped for every good work through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Acts 8, uh, verses 1 to 25. Uh, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with streaks, impure spirits came out of many and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. Now for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of, Lord, of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. When Simon saw that the, whole, that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness and pray to the Lord in the hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. Then Simon answered, Pray to the Lord for me, so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages. This is the word of the Lord. All right, a very good morning to one and all, church. The Lord be with you, especially during this time of another lockdown. I pray that you are drawing near to God to seek his wisdom and his strength 
as you cope with whatever situation you're finding yourself in. I know some of you are doing it tough, but look to the Lord. And should you or you know of anyone who needs help with anything, please do not hesitate to contact me or contact one of the church leaders. Well, thank you for joining us on this Zoom service. Today, we resume our study on the book of Acts. The last time, we were at the end of chapter 7, where we learned about the infant church at Jerusalem losing one of its members to martyrdom. Now, Stephen, one of the seven deacons, had been stoned to death for his faith. Now, we may think that Stephen died a horrible death, but we are told that Stephen died well because he saw Jesus standing up in the heavenly courtroom as his defense lawyer, so to speak, to receive him into heaven as a person freed from God's judgment. Now, friends, the Bible tells us that every one of us is destined to die once and after that to face judgment. And we have to face God's judgment because all of us have sinned against God in words, in thoughts, and in deeds. But in God's great mercy, Jesus died to pay the penalty of our sins. And so when we die in faith, like Stephen, we will die well because we will not face God's judgment. Instead, Jesus will be waiting on the other side of the grave, standing up as our defense lawyer to receive us as his people, freed from God's judgment, and crown us with the gift of eternal life. Now, this is the good news of the gospel. And whoever believes in Jesus Christ is not condemned, but has eternal life. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already and will not see eternal life, for God's wrath remains on them. <clears throat> so therefore, we have that responsibility, I should say, a joyful responsibility <clears throat> to share the good news of the gospel with all people so that all people, people of all nations, will come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. And that was why Jesus, before his ascension into heaven, gave his disciples the command to be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the world. And so beginning in Jerusalem, the gospel was proclaimed to all peoples of the world. And God in his sovereignty used an unexpected means to achieve this. God used persecution of his church to spread the gospel beyond Jerusalem. And we read this in chapter 8 of the book of Acts. And if you have your Bible with you, please open it up to Acts chapter 8. Now, verse 1 tells us that when Stephen was stoned to death, 
Saul was there to give his approval. Now Luke wants us to take note that Saul, who is also called Paul, was complicit in the killing of Stephen. And this would have significant consequences for Saul. And we will learn more about this when we come to chapter 9. But here, at the beginning of chapter 8, we are told that Saul not only approved of the killing of Stephen, but he also initiated the persecution against the church following Stephen's death. Look at verse 2. On that day, that is, on the day Stephen was martyred, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. And who was leading the persecution against the church in Jerusalem? It was Saul. And verse 3 tells us that Saul began to destroy the church. He went from house to house. And if there were any men or women who were believers, he would drag them off and put them in prison. Now, to avoid imprisonment, believers began to leave Jerusalem and moved into surrounding Judea, Samaria, and beyond. And we are told that all believers fled Jerusalem except the apostles. Now, the apostles had to remain in Jerusalem for the reason that they had to continue the gospel work in Jerusalem while the rest of the believers were dispersed into Judea and Samaria and beyond. And the amazing thing is this, and verse 4 tells us that wherever the believers had been scattered, they preached the word. They preached the word of God. The believers did not hide their allegiance to Jesus. Instead, they boldly shared the gospel. They proclaimed that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And they preached, that, uh, they preached what the apostles had taught them, that salvation is found in no one else but in Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Now, church history tells us that one of the main causes of the rise of Christianity in the Roman Empire was the spread of the gospel through persecution. You see, persecution forced the Christians to be scattered beyond Jerusalem. And everywhere the believers were scattered, everywhere they went, they brought with them the gospel of Jesus Christ. And remember, these believers were not the apostles. They were the ordinary disciples, the rank and file of the church, the laity. And it was the laity who brought the message of salvation in Christ Jesus to many more places than the apostles. And this has important lessons for us today. Now, today we want the church to grow. We want the gospel to spread. And according to biblical pattern, the best way to spread the gospel is through the scattering of Christians 
into new places the gospel has never been to. And therefore, it is necessary that all church members are trained for the role of ministry. Now, the New Testament pattern is for all Christians to be called into ministry, as this passage in Acts tells us. See, ministry is not just for special people who are called to be gospel workers or called to be pastors. No, the task of pastors and elders is to teach the laity so that they are equipped for the work of ministry. The gospel ministry is given to every Christian, every one of us, and there is no spectator. Everyone is involved. And so at TGCC, we want to train every one of us. We want to train everyone to be comfortable with sharing the gospel. And to this end, I think we want to encourage everyone to enroll for the Christianity Explored course when we next conduct it. And we also want to encourage all of you to revise the New City Catechism, which we did some time ago, so that you are able to articulate the basic doctrine of the gospel. And then when, and then when should, should we be dispersed, we can take the gospel to wherever we go. Now dispersion may come through persecution. And so when persecution comes upon us, we are not to view it in a negative sense. Persecution is God's way to spread the gospel as we move to new areas that may not have heard the gospel. Now, dispersion may also come when we are relocated on account of our job. So we can use our career to take the gospel to places it has never been to. And this is another way to spread the gospel. But it is not a new way. We are just following the pattern of the early church, as recorded in Acts chapter 8. Now, as the gospel moved beyond the early church in Jerusalem and entered Samaria, we, and we now hear about Philip. Now, this Philip is not one of the 12 apostles of Jesus. Instead, he is the... Um, he is the, one of the deacons together with Stephen. He has been part of the seven deacons of the infant church. And both Stephen and Philip tells us that in the early church, the deacons not only served the table, but they also preach and evangelize. Look at verse 5. We are told uh, that Philip, having escaped the persecution in Jerusalem, is now in a city in Samaria, preaching the gospel. The gospel is the message about Jesus the Messiah. And crowds come to listen to him. And they also see the signs and miracles that Philip performs. Impure spirits are exorcised, and many with paralysis are healed. As are those, as are the lame. And many people believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, and great joy comes over the city. 
Now, the happenings in Samaria tells us that evangelism and Christian mission is not merely a human endeavor to win over the hearts and minds of unbelievers to the truths about Jesus. Christian mission and evangelism is also a power encounter, a power encounter against the spiritual forces of evil. Now, during his ministry, Jesus says that uh, his driving out demons show that the kingdom of God has broken through into the kingdom of the world. And Jesus' disciples will continue this work of exorcism in the messianic age. And so today, we can expect exorcism to happen. Now, although we seldom hear of demonic possession, it is out there. And exorcism may be part of our gospel work. And we must see evangelism and Christian mission as a power encounter. As people believe in the gospel, it is because the power of God has overcome the forces of evil that have been holding unbelievers blind and captive to sin. But the end result of the power encounter is that people are freed from slavery to sin and they are transferred from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of Christ Jesus to the glory of God. And this was what happened in Samaria. Demonic forces were defeated by the power of the gospel. And many people believed in Jesus and they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Very soon what has happened in Samaria is reported to the apostles in Jerusalem. And there is excitement that the Samaritans have believed in the gospel. And we read this in uh, verse 14. Now the apostles decide to send Peter and John to verify what they have heard. And what Peter and John find is that the Samaritans are genuine Christians, but they have only been baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus, and they have not yet received the Holy Spirit. And so Peter and John proceed to pray and lay hands on the Samaritan believers. As a result, the Samaritans received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, this delay in the Samaritans receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit has puzzled many Christians. And some Christians belonging to the Pentecostal and Charismatic denomination, uh, they have used the Samaritans' experience as a proof that Christian conversion is a two-stage process. They teach that the first stage is when we are born again. We are born of the Spirit, but we do not yet have the Holy Spirit in full measure. Or to use their term, uh, we are not yet Spirit-filled when we are first converted. To be Spirit-filled, we need a second stage experience that occurs sometime after our conversion. And this second stage is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is given in full measure, usually through the laying on of hands by a church leader, 
And this second stage is evidenced by the speaking in tongues. So, so these Christians believe that conversion is a two-stage uh, experience, but this two-stage conversion cannot be supported by other parts of scripture. Now, if we allow scripture to interpret scripture, we will find that both the apostle Peter and Paul teach that Christian conversion is a one-stage experience. In Acts chapter 2, that we, we, we did that uh, some time ago, in Acts chapter 2, Peter tells us that after Pentecost, the twin blessings of the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit are given together when we first repent and believe in Jesus. Then the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Ephesians tell us that we receive the Holy Spirit without reservation the moment we believe. And Jesus himself teaches us that when we believe in him, we will receive the Holy Spirit like rivers of living water. Now, if Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will come upon us like rivers of living water at our conversion, why do we need a post-conversion experience to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? So it does not make sense. So brothers and sisters, do not let anyone tell you that you need a second experience to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. You are already baptized with the Holy Spirit at your conversion. And your responsibility after conversion is to live your life filled with the Spirit. Meaning that you no longer live according to your sinful desires, but according to the power of the Spirit who enables you to please God in all that you do and all that you are. Now, if Christian conversion is a one-stage process, how do we explain the Samaritan's two-stage experience? Again, we need to let Scripture do the talking. And if we let Scripture do the talking, I think the most natural explanation is this. The first Christians in Jerusalem uh, are Jews. Now that the Samaritans have also become Christians, there is a potential issue. How is the early church going to unite the two groups of people who have been traditional enemies? You see, for centuries, Jews have despised the Samaritans and would not normally talk to them. So what would make the Jews accept and welcome the Samaritans as fellow Christians of equal standing? Well, the answer is this. If the Samaritans have a similar experience to the Jewish Christians at Pentecost, then they are on equal terms. So you see, at at Pentecost, the Jewish Christians received the Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit. So likewise, God in his wisdom 
allows the Samaritan to have their own Pentecost, as it were. They also receive the Holy Spirit. And so there is no difference between the experience of the Jews and the Samaritans. The Samaritans are as true Christians as the Jews are. Now, among the Samaritan believers is a man named Simon. We are first introduced to him in verse 9. Now, he previously practiced uh, magic and sorcery. And he had a large following because he was good at his trade. But he knew that his magic power was not real. Then Simon saw the real power when he saw Philip preach the gospel. And Simon's followers began to desert him and follow Philip instead. And eventually, Simon himself also believed in the gospel and was baptized. But Simon was not so much interested in the gospel as he was in the spiritual power that Philip had. That was why he kept following Philip wherever Philip went. You see, Simon was hoping that somehow he might be able to perform the signs and the miracles that Philip performed. Then Peter and John arrived in Samaria. And Simon sees the chance to possess real spiritual power. Look at verse 19. Now Simon sees that the Holy Spirit is given at the laying on of the apostles' hands. And he offers Peter and John money and says to them, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. You see, Simon thinks that spiritual power can be bought. And in trying to use money to secure the power of the Holy Spirit, Simon introduces a corruption that is still prevalent in the church today. Now, this corruption in the church is appropriately named simony. Simony refers to the buying and the selling of church office the buying and the selling of religious power and the buying and the selling of spiritual benefits or spiritual blessings. Now, in the 16th century, the buying and selling of church office, for example, you can buy uh, the office of a bishop. See, the buying and the selling of church office and the buying and selling of spiritual blessings in the form of indulgences uh, were very rampant in the Roman Catholic Church. And this was one of the main reasons that led to the Reformation. Now, today, we see the same corruption even in so-called evangelical churches. Of course, the buying and the selling is not that blatant. It is more subtle. But at its core, simony is seeking spiritual power and wealth for self-promotion 
and for personal ambition. Now, when we start our own church, or when we start our own ministry as a source of power and wealth, it is simony. When we desire to advance in the church power structure because of the power and the perks it gives us, we are guilty of simony. When we enter ministry for personal gain, it is simony. When we preach the gospel for profit, it is simony. When we give our tithe and offering in the hope of securing God's favor and God's blessing for ourselves, it is simony. And when we try to influence the affairs of a church through our financial giving, it is simony. So simony is not that uh, infrequent. It is there, corrupting the church. Simony betrays a wicked heart in us, a heart that is captive to sin, the sin of pride and the sin of greed. Now, Simony tells us that we want spiritual power for its own sake in order to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying God. And when we don't get the power we want, we become bitter and we become bitter inside. And that was exactly Peter's diagnosis of Simon's heart. And we are told that Simon was a boastful guy and he wanted the spiritual power to feed his ego. And when he could not buy the spiritual power, his heart was full of bitterness and he remained captive to sin. And so Peter had to confront him. But when confronted, Simon refused to repent. Instead, he asked Peter to pray for him so that he would not be punished for trying to corrupt God's power. Now, this shows that Simon was likely to be not a true believer. And although Simon wanted to be part of the church, the Samaritan church, Peter told him that he could not have or he could have no part in the ministry because his heart was not right with God. And so we have this last lesson for us this morning. Brothers and sisters, we must have the right heart. We, we must set our hearts right with God if we want to participate in the ministry of the gospel. That means we may need to repent of our simony. We may need to repent of our pride and repent of our greed. And only then we pray. We pray that God will grant you and I spiritual power. Spiritual power not for self-promotion, but spiritual power to overcome temptation, spiritual power to persevere, and spiritual power 
to boldly share the gospel so that our family and our friends will receive the gift of eternal life as we have. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that through persecution, the gospel will continue to expand and flourish. May your spirit prepare us for the time when we may be dispersed. And let us be faithful in sharing the gospel wherever we go. Please keep us from the sin of simony. Keep us from vain profession of faith when our hearts are not right with you. Remind us that we can never buy your favor or earn your grace. But in Christ Jesus, we have every spiritual blessing that you have given to us. So let our hearts be thankful. And in gratitude, we will live our lives to please you in all that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Morning, church. As we just heard from God's word, we're going to sing together and we're going to sing our church around.